It is a privilege for me to be welcoming Steve as he comes to bring the Word of God to us. This is the last session, and it's going to be a brilliant session. I look forward to hearing him. Can we stretch out our hands and pray for Steve? Is that all right? Thank you. Father, we, we thank you for fathers, even as we just heard from Ray expressing his heart as a father. We were moved, and I, we thank you for Steve as a father to all that we are doing. Lord, we know that the weight that is upon his shoulders is enormous. But Lord, we know that you take our burden and you give us yours. I pray right now, as Steve brings the word, I pray for freedom, I pray for clarity, I pray for wisdom. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. We're going to... um, Aim to finish at quarter past 12, so I'm going to do my very, very best. I might not get through everything I'd like to share with you, but over the holiday time, excuse me, <clears throat> sorry, I arrived on the island with a bit of a cold, so um, over the holiday time, Heather and I had a, a wonderful break. I spent time in the, the book of Luke, and so if you have your Bible with you, we're going to spend a lot of time for just following scripture after scripture here, but I want to walk through uh, some of what Luke records and what a great book it is. Maybe it's the background, maybe it's the way he views it, maybe it's who he is that, and the way that he, he looks at what had happened that makes it such a special collection of, of what took place under Jesus' ministry. And um, at times, he's so specific, you feel he's being so selective. So many times I got in, I thought, oh, these feel like they don't join up. And then you realize, oh, wait a second, it's like a bricklayer laying bricks. He's working it out. He's very intentional. And so our passage this morning is one that's not recorded in any of the other Gospels, only in the book of Luke, and it's Luke chapter 10. And I'm going to read to you. This message is not so much about mission as it is about faith for mission or leadership faith in mission. And I want to speak to you about that because even as we prayed this morning, I'm sure you realize that in everything we do, there's got to be this deep-rooted faith in the purposes of God that He will come through for us as we push forward and do what we're meant to do. And we all practice it in our churches, but we practice it in our personal lives, in our families, exercising faith. And so I feel that the passage really will help us. So let me read uh, Luke chapter 10, and it's the story of the sending out of the 72, or maybe your Bible says 70. Um, the, the, the Greek, I understand, uh, recorded 72 because they felt there were 72 nations in the world. And the Hebrew, Hebrew world recorded 70 because they believed there were 70 nations. Uh, Genesis 10. Okay? So you're going to see the purpose of that coming through. It's so beautiful. And uh, after Fuzzy's message last night, I thought, oh, this is just perfect. We don't plan these things um, around what we're going to, to bring. Um, we trust the Holy Spirit to work in leaders. And for those of us involved in it, it's just so wonderful when you listen and you just hear, okay, I was going to say that, I'm saying that, I've got that. Yes, it's just wonderful. You feel it. Okay, here we go. After this, let me just stop there. The, this is... 
Jesus has been preparing everyone for the great task of his people. The cost, the pushing forward, the humility needed, all the various character issues we will face as we fulfill the call. And he says, he's been giving them all these instructions. And um, so Luke records, so after this, all these instructions, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Father God, I really do thank you for Luke and his writings, the inspired word of God. Lord, I pray now that I would serve these dear friends well, Lord, with a clear mind and heart. I pray give me energy, Lord, and insight. Holy Spirit, come upon us as we now sort of enter the the entrance to the runway in order to take off again for your purposes. I want to pray, Lord, that you'd be the, the wind under our wings and that you would really take us on. So would you bless us now, Lord, through your word in Jesus' name. As I mentioned, this scripture is not recorded, this uh, incident is not recorded in the other Gospels, but I'm so glad that Luke captured this event. It is so empowering and commissioning for the church as a whole. It's a marvelous account in every way, and I've read it many, many times, but sitting on our front veranda in southern Africa, I got stuck here, and I ended up really just enjoying this and asking God many questions because I felt that what Luke has provided for us through the actions of Jesus is almost a template for the purposes of God and his church and his people. It's not a one-off incident knowing that the church is yet to be born, that Jesus is saying, okay, this will be a good idea. It's almost like he's saying, okay, here's opportunity to put something on show that I want my people to follow. But furthermore, I think it's an insight into what very normal church life should look like. 
So, if time allows, I'm going to take you through each one of these scriptures. I doubt I will get there, but I'm going to do my best. So Luke is looking back some 30 years after the death of Jesus. He's got all these stories. He's put it together for us. And Jesus at this time is having amazing impact. If you spend time in the Gospels and you read and you suddenly come upon upon passages where it says, and the people were amazed. They were overwhelmed. They just couldn't believe what was happening, uh, even when Jesus was under enormous pressure. Great crowds were following him, seeking him out at every opportunity. But on this occasion, it all shifts. There's a shift that takes place. Not only is it a crowd listening to Jesus, but he brings it to a point where now he empowers the crowd. And so we read in verse 1, After this, the Lord appointed, commissioned, uh, sent 72 others, and sent them on ahead of him two by two. Verse 1, I want to pick up just that word. The Lord appointed 72 others, or 70, whichever you prefer. Just picture this for a moment. There have been these great things, these extraordinary healings taking place, where people's breath is taken away. And you can imagine the mayhem at times where people see creative miracles happening in their midst. And there's great excitement and understanding and the gathering and word is spreading and the throngs are pushing into Jesus. And you'll know at times he tries to escape only to be followed. And then he has compassion when he sees them. And this is happening, great throngs all around him. And then maybe just as Jazz did a moment ago, no microphone, somebody said, order, come on everybody, find a place to sit. Stop for a moment. And there's a hush over the crowd as the masses sit down or stand listening. What's he going to do now? And in the midst of this, he selects, he draws out individuals. I sat there for ages thinking, how did it happen? The Bible doesn't tell us. Unfortunately, there's no other accounts in the other Gospels to get any other insights. But with this message, suddenly he's saying, okay, Steve Whittington, you come. Tom, would you come? And he goes through all the names, and he starts drawing these people. I think, oh, what's this about? They say, no, come, come, come. Maybe he says to some of his apostles, have you noticed any really key gifts among us? Go and fetch them. Maybe he trains them. We don't know. But slowly but surely, this number grows. There's five, and they're all standing there. What have we done now? What's happening? And he starts drawing until the number grows. And out of the thronging crowds, he elects. I was so moved on whatever night we arrived here, Tuesday evening. Ali's speaking about how God delights in us. He chose you. Just the most beautiful words. And he draws them out. He says, yes, you, and oh, would you come, and you, that's right. Uh, where is that? Oh, yes, there you are. You come as well. I think it would have been very personal. It wasn't, I'm looking for volunteers. Such intent. Did he know them? Had he been watching them? Had he seen how 
They responded while he was teaching. Did he know each by name? We don't know. All we know is that it's very intentional. And what a massive achievement. Seventy. Seventy commissioned to go. I remember our very first conference I did, um, not regions beyond, we were, we were just in, in our small town. But because of the call of God in us for the nations, we wanted to prepare people. My first message came from Isaiah 6. Who will go for me? Who can I send? And if you go into the, the building in Southern Africa, there's still a picture on the wall of 23 people. They're all standing there, tears, and they were the first ones who responded to the call to go. 23 of them. I thought revival had come. It was the most wonderful, wonderful moment as we got ready to start to fulfill this call to the ends of the earth. Jesus, after a short time ministry, there's 70. Absolutely amazing. 70 people. Brothers and sisters, we need to know those that God puts around us. This, is, this wasn't, I don't believe, on just a, a woman. Oh, it's a good time to send some people out. The crowd's going. Let's get rid of some of them. I think Jesus, very intentional. He's putting something in place that in the masses of the crowd are the laborers for the kingdom of God. They're there. They're right there. And if we are to see reproduction for the long haul, if we are going to keep going, then as leaders... We've got to be superb talent spotters. We've got to be watching people and saying, there's one. Look how they respond when we teach. When there's opportunity for prayer, they're always there. And we start to see the people God's put around us. Please, may we never get to the point where we just see those that God adds to our church, another person or a group who will fill another road to listen to my preaching. If we get there, this gospel is going to grind to a halt, but it won't do because there are promises over it. But we've got to be the people that everyone who walks in the door, Steve, thank you so much for yesterday. And I've walked the streets with him in Hull and I've watched him. Sorry, Steve. And he talks to somebody. Oh, hang on a second. And he's got another. Being aware of those that God puts around us. And so in the, he appoints them. It's very intentional. He commissions them. I've got something for you to do. And you can imagine them when they step forward and he says, Right, you're wondering while you're all out here. Your heart's off to God. I've got a job for you to do. Oh, wow. Okay. Let's carry on. Also in verse 1, it says then, so he appoints them. I'm going to send you. And he says, and sent them on ahead of him. He sent them on ahead of him. Here's that wonderful word again. Sent. Right from the onset, in the foundation of his people, we find the sending mentality. I believe the church has really lost that to a large degree. We've been through seasons but if we're going to do church right, if we're going to be a movement that fulfills what we've just heard from Fuzzy and last night and all of us, 
We need to be a people who send. That those we receive are we receiving in order to equip to send. What a wonderful thing to walk into a church and join a church community. And one of the first things you hear is, we're going to raise you up to send you. And it's empowering. It is absolutely empowering. Right there, he puts it in. We're a sent people. Hebrews tells us that Jesus was the first apostle, the first sent one. And right here, we see it right again. Here we go again, sending the people. Even before the birth of the church, we were a sent people. And Jesus puts it in us. I wonder if we haven't put so many things in place, programs, all these things that people go in, and it's almost like a maze. The end result is mission, but you've got to get through all of this stuff before you get there. For years we walk around, have I got the right route? Oh, no. I mean, those mazes are, are amazing. We've had such a theme running through this gathering. As I mentioned, Ali, how Jesus chose us. I mean, it was such a special moment. Such a special moment. He saw through, the, through your mess and chose you. He saw through your mess, and I thought, that describes it exactly in my case. Saw through the mess, and he said, Oh, come here, you. I've got a task for you. Me? Yes. Donna, reminding us about the poor, about the world's largest people group. Prophetic words that have pointed us to this greater purpose, to one another, to humility, all the things we treasure. Yesterday, Simon and Steve telling us how easy it is to be sent in your neighborhood. It's just remarkable. So easy. So easy. And then Fusi last night shaping us. What insight. Make us think differently. I am convinced yet again that there is a great call on each of us and on each community among us for us to be a true apostolic people group. In every message we preach, there should be that stirring for our people to realize I'm part of God's answer. I'm part of God's purposes that they get caught up. And it's amazing. Not just a few. Jesus is not sending out the 12 again. He's now changed the stake. 70. 70. And as I said, that ties in all the theologians agree with the 70 people groups that are listed in Genesis 10. Jesus saying, my word will go to every single one, including the Palau or whoever they were up on the board a moment ago. Everyone will hear. Every nation. Let's move. He says then, carrying on, he said, so he sent them, he was going to send them on a hand two by two. Uh, let me go back one, sorry. Uh, Yeah, two by two into every town. I'm sure there's every pastor here who's preached many times on two by two, so I'm not going to go into it. But being together here again, what a privilege. What a privilege. When we prayed for Pastor Job earlier, speaking to his church, 
And he's instructing them how to get through this time. They can't be together. Everyone's in their homes. And you realize, wow, that's a big change. When you are in among other brothers and sisters, what it does to you to be in community. And that's the whole thing of two by two. It, it teaches us to lean on one another. We don't do this alone. He sent them on ahead of him. This is just quite extraordinary. He said on behalf of him. They, began to, they were going to be his mouthpiece. Jesus' mouthpiece. Can you imagine? All that's been happening. And he says, you come. You come. Let me send you out to be his mouthpiece, to be his touch, as we heard from those guys this afternoon. We're in the community. To be Jesus there. What a responsibility. They're given, the 70 are given temporary authority, yet mighty authority, if you read all they got. And I'm sure, like us, they feel the insecurities. They feel the, oh, am I up for this? Could I, could I manage this? Where would I go? What would I say? Will I have the right words? Will I remember all that Jesus has been teaching? All these things. But he's saying, you're going on my behalf. You might feel like a child. You might feel, oh, I'm going to get some of this wrong. Hey, it's okay. Jesus said, that's how you've got to be to inherit the kingdom of God. Be like a child. On his behalf, two by two. Let's move on to verse two. And he said to them, sorry, can I, sorry I'm going to go back. I realize there's one more line here. So he sent them to into every town and place where he himself was about to go. This is interesting. Really interesting. Because I thought, okay, Jesus has got this mind map worked out for the whole of Judea and Samaria and all the places he's going to go to. And so he calls out 70 and he says, listen, I want you to go ahead of me. I want you to go to the places I am going. Now we need to jump ahead a little bit because you get a further insight in verse 3. Because he says, okay, so I'm sending you to where I'm going. And then he says, go your way. That implies something. That implies something very, very special. Jesus has got it all planned out. He's saying, I'm going to all these towns. That's where I'm going. You go, but you go your way. And the implication, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus will go to every city, every village, every hamlet, every town through us. Go your own way. Wherever you go, I will be there. What a comfort for us as we go into Crystal Palace or Little Hampton. And you go and you think, oh, this is a big responsibility. You know, regions beyond. Everybody's watching us. How are we going to do? Are we going to do? Brothers and sisters, he goes before us. He is there. Our first church plant, Heather and I, was truly, as many of you know, in the middle of nowhere. Loneliness and isolation were our biggest enemies. I can remember times where the, 
the, the remoteness of where we were would, would eat you up. Dave and Sue, I was wondering about you guys when you went into uh, Tajikistan, I think, eh? is that right? And others. When you go, when you leave behind those who've, who've supported you and looked after you. And you go in there and you feel the, the extreme loneliness and the, this is where I am now to be Jesus. But the promise is, He has gone ahead. That's His intention everywhere. What a joy to find Jesus there. He was there for us and showed us his presence as we went into Clarence. So quickly we realized, ah, someone's been here before us. The groundwork has been done. Someone's been preparing the field for planting. All those things, you just see it here and working. And then Jesus said to him, not only am I going to go ahead of you, you can go wherever you go, that's fine because I will be there. But he says to them, the harvest is Plentiful, but the laborers are few. Think about the context here. He's just about to send out 70. I have never in all my 24 years of ministry been in any gathering where 70 people have been sent out. We prayed for around about three or four today who are going, Josh and Jen and others. Trusting God, we're going there, we're doing this. You guys into uh, Fern Forestdale. Now we're sending out. Here there are 70. And Jesus put a stake in the ground. And he's saying it's because the harvest is so great. Josh read it out earlier. God spoke to Abraham and said, Oh, you're asking for a son, let me just show you. And you see the heavens and the stars. That is waiting for us. It just came across so beautifully today. I had this in my mind. The harvest is plentiful. Oh, let me show you what it looks like. This is the best I can do. Look at the heavens, the stars. I read in the paper um, two weeks ago, a, a young 19-year-old boy just found another new star no one knew was there. They just keep discovering our promise is not let's hold on until we get to heaven with the, the few who will go with us and believe with us. Our promise is look at the heavens. It's going to be one almighty community. I was hoping there would be a cheer. <laughs> I've got no more puff in me to do that again. <laughs> He's sending out 70 saying, this is serious. I'm not going to send out the one and twos. Chatting to Trevor Payne recently, he's carrying this church reproduction in his heart, and I'm finding it hard to stay with him and keep up with him. And the way he's talking, when I prepared this, I thought, ah, Trevor, you're onto something. Because Jesus is not saying, listen, um, there's a bit of work to do. I need two volunteers. He's saying, I need 70 I want one for every nation, just as a, a picture for you. And we're going out there. We're sharing the gospel. Brothers and sisters, I believe that we need to allow faith to arise, that even in our churches, the things we pray, and we'll come to that in a moment, are stirred by the, the great greatness of God and all He has promised. 
that at times when we holding on for four years, wasn't that a lovely testimony this morning? And we're holding on, Lord, just one. And then it comes. But now we've got to say, um, Lord, thank you for the one, but um, can I just remind you, how about quite a number of those ones? It changes the way that we look at it. And it begs to ask the question, how big is the harvest if in Jesus' mind, 70 laborers is few? 70, and he says, oh, there are no, no laborers around. I'm thinking, Jesus, I'd be really happy with that. It changes the way that you perceive mission and, and the things we pray and the things that we believe. And I believe that when I read this, I think, God, I want to ask you for big asks. Not that we would be numbers driven so that I can say to my friends down the road, oh, but, yeah, well, no, we've gone to two services, maybe three shortly because we're growing so quickly. You know, that just leads to an empty self-interest. But where we are hungry and saying, God, send us the people because we won't hold on to them. When we've got them, we're going to keep giving them away. We will send them. We will keep pressing on. Let's learn from Jesus. Behind the scenes, he must have been preparing them in some way. I'd love to know more about that. How did he prepare them? Was it just through what he taught? Was it the odd encouragement now and again? By the way, I just noticed how passionate you are when we pray corporately. Keep going. I noticed this. Maybe it's just that, that little prod at times. Why don't you go help over there? I don't know how he prepared them. Obviously through his teaching, parables, he's putting it out there, but he's pretty tough on them at times. He said, you're not going to understand these things. But he's preparing them. He's touch, maybe a request, a conversation. If we are to see our measure of the harvest, we have to be faithful with the labor force that God's giving us in our communities. Hallelujah. How am I doing time-wise? Oh, my goodness. And then he says to them, and here's a key. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in the harvest. I think this once again implies that Jesus, as we know, would withdraw and spend time with the Father. He would be praying every day. He would be missing. It just seems to be a way of life for him. And I think we get an insight into one of his prayers. He's saying, Father, thank you for the community that are gathering to listen to your word. I'm revealing you to them. Anoint me, move me for this task. But I ask you now, give me laborers. Give me laborers. Who are the 70 I want to send out? I want to make this statement. Give me my 70. Thank you for this one. Thank you for that one. Thank you for this one. That's 47. What about the other 23? (laughs) Purposeful. When I read this, I thought, I'm not praying those sort of prayers. Lord, we, we want to see more churches planted. And it's almost like a big brush stroke, you know, slap, slap, slap. With Jesus saying, 70 nations, 
I want to put a statement out there that every nation will reach. We need 70. So I'm going to pray for this one and that one and that one. Come on, Father, we need more. And we go and go. And he says, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly. That comes from here. And I think we can start to move nations on our knees. I've shared with you before, but moving to the Middle East for Heather and I was a tremendous shock to the system. I really, honestly speaking, thought God had the wrong person. Really did. Did our first service, our second one, and I'm thinking, God. We were staying in a little apartment, and we had our two boys with us. It was very cramped, and we're all in there. So there was a broom cupboard. And so I put a desk in there, but it looked like a prison cell because it had no windows except for one which was quite high up on the wall. And that was my little office. But it was in that little office that God taught me to pray over the Middle East. And I would face, God had given us a word from the north, from the south, the east, and the west. I will send people. So I'd work out, okay, there's north, and I'd call out. All those of you that Jesus has prepared for Gateway Church Dubai, wake up. It's Friday. We're meeting in two hours. Come. I pray over them. I try and imagine what they're like. No, don't go roll over. You come. Then I turn to the south and I start again and then to the east and the west. We were not allowed to evangelize. We weren't allowed on the streets. We didn't have a website. We didn't have anything. We started to get to the point where we started to see 10 visitors a week, 15, sometimes 25 when I see Harold and Pixie in my heart because she was in charge of that. She'd phone everyone on the Sunday, which is Monday in Dubai. She'd phone each one and say, thank you for being with us. How can we help you? Did you enjoy it? Will we see you again? What can we do? She would be on to them. Now look where they're going. We underestimate the power of earnest prayer. And I put my hand up to say, I've lost that habit. We need to get back to it. Those of you wanting to grow your church, where's Neil? Neil's still here? There you are. I mean, what a blessing last night. We rejoice with you, guys. How many more are there now? Call them in. Call them in. Ask God. Call them in. I felt even in this word, there's somebody here, the number 70 is very, very important. The number 70. So Jesus says, the harvest great, the laborers are few, you pray, you can move them to go on mission. Here's a nice way to end off. I'm sending you as lambs among wolves. Fuzi last night said to us the context of the Christian world is one of warfare it's a battle and it is hard out there when I spoke to Paul the other day and he sent me this voice message in lovely lovely South African lingo which I can't really repeat but he, he said to me hey Steve man he said I'm hardly sleeping he said the dreams last night these things that come at me in the middle of the night 
I'm worn out. I'm snappy with my wife and children. I, you know, I said, it's just like I never dreamed it would be like this. That tells me that he's about an important work if the enemy is doing that. When we started, those of you came to the very, very first hub in Dubai. Quite a number of you were there. I remember the night before we started, I woke up in Dubai and there was someone in our bedroom. And I sat up and here was this thing. And he took this, what I can only imagine is like a spear or a goad, and he came straight over and just thrust it straight through me. It was as real as we are real. The spiritual warfare over church planting, over taking nations, is a real thing. And that's why we, we devote time this morning to pray for these people. And we keep stirring, come on, don't stop. We've got to do that because it's like lambs among wolves. Anybody who knows anything about sheep, if a lamb gets isolated, it is dead. It is dead. It's got no way of surviving. Lamb is the most vulnerable little thing there is. An incredible Jesus, Lamb of God. I mean, he just... But the lamb, so vulnerable. I mean, he's just there for the picking. Jesus said, I'm sending you out like that. That's why two by two. Ah. I love this one. He says, okay, don't take much with you. I wonder if we haven't made church planting too complicated. <clears throat> In my nation of South Africa, you cannot be a church leader unless you've got a sound system. And it must have volume. Okay? If it hasn't got full volume, it ain't working. You haven't got a church. What's it like for us? I've heard some people say it's all about the coffee. I think... As a coffee lover, that's very important, but no. He goes on to say, don't take the stuff. I'm there for you. And then this one, this is where I want to end. I'm serious. Greet no one on the road. We go from here today, we've heard some fantastic stuff. Our hearts have been moved. The purposes of God before us, we're advancing. It's not easy. We stretched on many fronts. We're looking to God for answers. And Jesus' instruction to us is, don't greet one. Don't greet anyone on the road. What's he saying? Now, to, if, or at the moment, so he's got the 70, he's given them instructions, he's saying, I'm sending you all these things, and he says, oh, by the way, don't greet one, anyone on the road. They would have looked at each other. Seriously? This is a Middle Eastern book. The one thing you don't do is walk past someone on the road. One thing you don't do is embrace and share blessings. Africa's like that. Say, oh, you're not starting on time. No, I met so-and-so on the way. Think, okay. <laughs> it's lovely, isn't it? That's why Fuzzy's saying contextualization is so key. When we go into other parts of the world and we say, come on, we want to start this meeting at... 10 o'clock, and I've done meetings in, when we had the church, and I'd be saying, okay, we're going to close off now, and people start walking in the door, you know, and you think, oh. 
not a meeting, it's an all-day event. It's the culture. Don't go home. We linger. We, our lives aren't so full. This is just wonderful. Heather and I, sorry, I've got to finish here, went to a funeral two weeks ago in an African village just before we came back, and it was a lady who uh, was one of the first to, to walk up. Rhea, I saw, do you remember, met Alicia who crossed the river. This little lady, she's this size, um, she used to disrobe into her nothings, hold her clothes on her head, and then cross the Caledon River when it was in flood, not to miss a meeting. And there she was. I walked in, and you know, the, she's one of the family. And I said, Malice. She said, Yes. Older, so are you. Uh, just incredible. But we went to this funeral, and the whole community gathered. And we haven't done this for years and years and years now. Poor old Heather. She said, Please, when we go, find the right spot for me. And I knew exactly what you were saying because they slaughter a cow. Um, not for any rituals or anything, but to feed the 2,000 people that are coming. And um, Heather's a bunny hugger, if you hadn't worked that out. <laughs> and so I, I had to go in search of where this great act was taking place. And I said to her, no, I found the spot. So we find this old drum, and we're waiting for this whole thing to start. And we're sitting there saying hello to everyone. And then this guy comes walking along, and he's got the, the head of the car by the nostrils, and he's carrying it past it. And Heather goes... Oh, no. (laughs) But you just see the, the whole event. What's Jesus saying to these people? He's speaking about urgency. He's saying to them, this has to take priority. And I want to leave you with a question. Today, and maybe um, Hannah, I think you leading if you want to come up. How is the urgency of the gospel displayed in your life? How is the urgency of the gospel displayed in your life? Because when I read that and I thought, ah, I know what he means there, don't greet anyone. I've been there. I realized, oh, Jesus, there's this urgency to the gospel. And we go from here carrying a great responsibility. We here in the United Kingdom have been enormously blessed. And once again, our nation is waiting. The nations are waiting for us to arise and to say, okay, We're going to set our course again. We've been doing this for years, but Lord, one year, two years, three years, four years, as Dave said to us this morning, it wasn't that fantastic. Jericho will come, maybe it's a bit longer, but we're going to stay true and there'll be urgency. I'd like to leave that with you as we go. Can you individually, as couples, just think, how's the urgency of the gospel impacting my life and the way I do things. Because if you're true to yourself, you'll realize, wow, we can get quite comfortable. We can get quite comfortable. Would your friends and family know that you are urgently about the Father's business? 
ask Jesus' mother Mary, tell him I want to speak to him. <laughs> Please tell her I'm among my family at the moment. <laughs> Urgent business here. Wow. Brothers and sisters, I want to thank you so much for our togetherness in the gospel. I want to thank you for our oneness and our purpose. It's hard work. We face some real bumps along the way. And even I know in some of the churches, we, we're facing some real pressures. But he goes before us. He's there. He hasn't forgotten us. And may I just say to you, let's find a, a renewed urgency for the purposes of God. These times are wonderful. So enjoyed. I must admit I arrived here feeling very poorly. It was real bad flu. Forgive me if I was a bit dull day one and two. I thought, oh Lord, please help me here. But just watching and listening. You might have picked something up at this hub where those of us of the older generations are slowly making space for others. And um, it's such a joy watching these men and women step forward and lead us and lead you and know that, my goodness, we've got a bright future. We've got a bright future. Listening to Fusi last night and we go back a long way and watching him and, sorry Fusi, but just feeling the, the pride, if I can put it that way, that godly pride, just thinking, my goodness, Steve Whittington, your heart and Simon, your energy. <laughs> Just unbelievable. We're about a good work. Let's stay on the wall. Let's keep doing God's things. Would you stand, please?